Hi everyone, Wynn Claybaugh here. Are you ready to learn the secrets to success in any industry? Although my next guest made his mark in the beauty industry, his strategies and work ethic would guarantee success for anyone who practiced them. Dubbed the King Kahuna of Hollywood hair by Oprah Winfrey herself, celebrity stylist and Hollywood salon owner Ken Pavis tells how he got his start and worked his way up by having a great attitude, working hard, being willing to assist and learn, and constantly practicing the key principles of gratitude and humility. As an added bonus, one of his celebrity clients stopped by during the interview. You'll just have to listen to see who it was. If you love this interview as much as I do, please take a minute to rate it, comment, and share it with your friends. And be sure to subscribe on www.masterspodcastclub.com to receive information about new podcasts and other news. And now, here's Ken Pavis. everybody, Wynn Claybaugh here. Welcome to this issue of Masters. You know, there's just some people that you know about because they're everywhere. They're everywhere on TV, in the press, in the industry press. And then every once in a while, just the planets line up or something lines up and things happen exactly how they're supposed to, when they're supposed to. I think I sent an email to you. It was not even two weeks ago. Yeah. And had we tried to set this up years in advance, it would never happen. It would happen. never happen, right. But the fact that you just like immediately said yes, and I'm not even sure that you knew what we were doing, but, <laughs> still, but you said yes anyway, you know? Yeah. That's a nice little lesson in life. I'm sitting yeah. here with Ken Pavis. Ken, welcome to Thank Masters. Thank you, Wayne. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm super honored, and I did know what I was doing. You know, I do think that, you know, the foundation of our industry and the future of our industry relies in the students and those people that are coming, you know, up now. So I was super stoked and super honored to do it, and that's why. I said uh, yes so quickly. Well, you had this beautiful uh, stylist of yours, Andrea, yes. who came up to me while I was waiting for you saying that she was Awestruck. a graduate of my school and yes. that was so sweet. To... And a fan of yours. Well, thanks for giving her a brilliant career. She said Thank five you. years ago she graduated and this is where she started her career and yeah. she's happy and healthy and yeah, she's loving a... life. She's an amazing role model. You know, she came to me with all the tools that she had learned at your school and all the wherewithal to be who she is today. And, you know, she has some amazing clients around the world. She's had an incredible career in a very short amount of time. I mean, doing the likes of Victoria Beckham, you know, um, Petra Ecclestone, Eva Longoria. She does all of their stuff that I don't do, the extensions and the things like that, and um, styling and things. Um, so she's had an incredible career as well as worked with me on all the, the shows and things I've I did, but she came to me with the foundation, so thank you. Well, it has to start with somebody, and then we have to pass the baton. Right. Like, I used to have these uh, salon owners who would call me and say, you know, why'd you send that person to me? You know, because they were horrible when. I'm like, well, they were brilliant with me. What'd you do to them? Exactly. No, 100%. 100%. I think when people pass the baton and when you change the changing of the guards, you know, I was an assistant. I went to school. You know, we all did those things. So it's about the experience that you get as you move on and you become who you were meant to be as a stylist and evolve from all of your experiences, mm -hmm. good or bad. Well, we're sitting here in Ken's beautiful salon on North Robertson, here in the middle of West Hollywood, in the middle of everything. 
How long have you been in this location? This is beautiful back here. Thank you. I can move in here. Like this, this little garden area and all this. This is great. It's really comfortable. Whenever I come here, I never want to leave. I wind up being here much longer than I ever anticipated because it is so comfy. Um, and then, of course, you know, with the California weather. But we've been here for about eight years now. Okay. I actually bought um, the salon from an amazing hairstylist named Jordan Schwartz, who was one of the, the revolutionaries in the 60s. He did an incredible haircut on Gene Seberg. I'll get off track for a minute because it's a great story. You can get off track all you want to. This is your interview, not mine. <laughs> I appreciate it. I was actually up here. I rented a space to do makeovers for the Oprah show, which I did for nine years. And Tipperith, who you just met, who left um, a few moments ago, a stylist here who I lived at her house when I moved here, she came down here to get a flower from this building for her hair. When she came in, she met this amazing guy named Jordan Schwartz. I never saw a tip until my Oprah segment was over. She came back up with an amazing flower in her hair and said, you've got to come back down. The place next door is a salon, which I didn't know that. And she said, you have to meet the guy. His name is Jordan. He's the owner. So I came back down in here. I met this incredible guy, one of the coolest looking cats you'll ever see in your entire life. He looked like he just came out of the 60s, beatnik, you know, plaid pants, argyle socks, great loafers, like the whole nine yards, one of the coolest people I've ever met. And he, we talked for about two hours, and I wasn't looking to buy a salon. And he said to me, you know, I've been asking my angels to send me someone to take the salon over. I want to tell you I, I have cancer, and um, I've been looking for someone to take the salon over. And I said, you know what, Jordan? I said, I've never w- thought about having a salon here. I have one in my hometown, but I believe I was supposed to be here. I think we have a deal. My mom's coming into town tomorrow and some other friends of mine, so can I come back and uh, show them the salon? If my mom says yes, then cool, we got a deal. Loved him. I mean, he was just this incredible guy. Came back the next day with my mother and then my friend Nate Burkus, who was the decorator on the Oprah show, uh, in tow to see, you know, what the salon should look like. And we walked in. My mom said, you have to have it. This feels like home. And then one of the women that was uh, working here said, hey, wait a minute. Those two boys are the boys from Oprah. Wait a second. And Jordan walked over and he said, should I know you? And I said, no, not at all. And I went ahead and took, um, you know, the salon over And before Jordan's passing, you know, he had been an incredible hairdresser but wanted to do some of the things that we were doing, some of the shows and some of all this kind of stuff. And I learned so much from him. You never stop learning. And he became one of my greatest teachers and role models. And we were shooting the sixth installment of America's Next Top Model here. And there was this incredible, cool, short haircut that the producers said to me, we want this on this girl. And I said, okay, well, I've got the perfect hairdresser. They said, no, we want you to do it. And I said, no, no, no. I got someone that's going to do it better than me. And they're like, okay, so I brought Jordan over. Well, by this time, you know, his uh, illness had progressed a little bit, and he was a little bit shaky, what have you, not a problem. I think it makes for a better haircut. Gives more, te- <laughs> gives more texture. You got it. Um, so he came over with, like, a couple pairs of, uh, you know, triple-bladed shears and all his accoutrement. He was getting ready, and the producer walked over and said, um, hey, hey, whoa, wait a second. Can you do this? And he said, yeah, I've got this. And the producer said, no, no. Are you sure you can do this? This is what I want. And Jordan was really humble in his eccentricity. You've got to see a picture of him. Neon pants, a neon thong and plaid. I mean, everything. Coolest guy ever. But he's very humble in his work. And he said, no, no, I've I've got this. I can do this. So a few more times they asked, can you do this? And then they said to him, well, how do you know you can do this? He said, because I did that haircut on Gene Seberg in 1967. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) You're going to let me do it? So the coolest moment ever. He was such a badass and such a revolutionary and still incredibly humble, so talented, could cut me out of a box. And it was, you know, the, the haircut stole the show. You know what I mean? So that's how the salon came to be. Long story, but I, and his name is actually out in the garden in the bricks. So, you know, he is a part of me. And, and when you talk about students that left you, I was a student of his. And Andrea was a student of his. And, and we all evolved. So this career to me is about sharing, sharing homes. You know, this 
salon is a home to everyone that works here and all the people that come here, as well as mine. So it's a pretty cool, you know, isn't career Isn't it great have. that you have kept a legacy for him? You know, you're, you're still talking to him that his name yeah. is in the garden and everything. Yeah. I just think that that's so nice to hear. We owe it to everyone. You know, we have a responsibility to everybody who influenced our career, good or bad, to recognize them and, and say thank you, whether it was good or bad. You know what I mean? Because they helped to mold us who we are. Without challenges and without greatness, we would never be who we are. I appreciate more so the challenges, you know. I really do. Well, we'll talk about that. Okay, now, yeah. uh, Ken, you could probably just sit back for the next hour while I read your bio. Oh, yeah, yeah. I oh, my blush. gosh. Well, this is important because uh, people who are listening to this, whether they've been in the industry for 50 years or for 50 days, are looking for heroes and they're looking to what they can aspire to. And so they need to hear what Ken has been able to accomplish and still stay humble, and you're from Detroit, you from said? From Detroit, Michigan, yeah. Yeah, so people need to know. It's like, and oh, proud of it. To him. They, they can relate to you and think, if he did it, I can do it too. So yeah. now they need to hear what you did. Okay. okay. Oh, my gosh, and this could really take forever because it's a lot. It's a lot. Uh, I mean, Oprah Winfrey called you the big kahuna of Hollywood hair. Uh, you've been celebrated. You've had your work in the pages of Vogue, Marie Claire, Elle, Harper's Bazaar, Allure, Glamour, O Magazine, Vanity Fair. I mean, that list just goes on and on, as well as industry publications such as American Salon and Modern Salon. In fashion, you have worked with Victoria Beckham, uh, Lady Gaga. We have to talk about that. I mean, what the heck. Jennifer Lopez, uh, Jessica Simpson, Celine Dion, Nicole Richie, Fergie, Taylor Swift. I mean, that list goes on and on as well. Let's see. You've been dubbed as the hottest hairdresser in Hollywood. Uh, you've done all kinds of TV shows from Oprah to America's Next Top Model, The Doctors, The Biggest Loser. Does it ever get old listening to this big long list here? I mean, is it surreal for you? Is it's it, surreal, to be honest it, with does you. Does it humble you? Does it, does it motivate you to do more? Does it, how, how does it make you feel? And again, I read half of a three-page biography here yeah. that could just really go on and on. Oh, well, let me go on and on. <laughs> Uh, New York Fashion Week, uh, you are currently the creative team of Simon Cowell's The X Factor. This is the one I love the best, that you got invited to by Walt Disney Studios to design the hair for it. It's animated. Animated hairstyle. But, uh, named uh, Periwinkle. But you also got a role, at, you get to do one of the voiceovers. <laughs> I, I read for uh, two of the voices for characters in Secret of the Wings, the new Disney animated fairy film. Yeah, You are so lucky. That is so cool. It's really cool. That's really cool. You know, I have a baby daughter, and I thought, gosh, how cool would that be for her to pop in a, a cartoon yeah. in its daddy's voice? That was the coolest thing for me, because I do want to have children, and you know, to know that I have this legacy, and I helped to create this character uh, that has come to life, and, and because of being a hairstylist, you know, I got the job, so I'm super proud of that. Isn't it incredible what hairdressing can do? What that kind of career can, where it can take you. Yeah, absolutely. It can take you to become a Disney character in, a, in an animated film. There you go. It can take you to become, you know, whatever you want to be. You know, there are no limits. We're artists. And I think when you forget that you're an artist, you underestimate the ability of your career. If you always remember you're an artist and that you can create, it's endless, the opportunity. Hmm. That's a great way to put it. It's true. Okay, so again, this, this really goes on and on, and, and uh, I want to talk to you. I have a lot of questions. I have a feeling that this will just kind of grow organically here as we just kind of sit and chat. And then I also like that you're using your name and your celebrity and your resources and your celebrity contacts in a lot of philanthropic ways to, to raise money and raise awareness for a variety of different causes. And so, I have, again, I've got a big long list of questions for you. Well, I think that's – when you read that, though, the bio, it actually kind of – that's the only time I get a little bit – 
off my game a little bit, like for communicating myself and, and my purpose in dialogue and everything, is because when I hear that, it does humble me beyond what you could ever imagine. You know, I never got into this industry to have that career. I got into this industry because I was a really insecure kid. And I wanted to make other people who felt just like me feel better about themselves. And I took my mom, who's Filipino and Portuguese, you know, uh, grew up in Detroit. And people always question her looks, although I think she's the most beautiful woman in the world, and she is. And I wanted to celebrate her. So me wanting to do this was really to kind of you know, heal my own wounds of self-doubt and insecurity, but then also for other people who I love, like my mom. And then for, you know, as I realized I got good at it, I realized I could do it for a lot of other people. So it never, I never did it for the reasons of that. You know, whenever I hear my resume, I'm kind of shocked a little bit because I still feel like the kid from Detroit who is trying to do hair and people are telling him, oh, when that doesn't work out for you, let me know because my boyfriend just opened up a quarter car wash. Maybe we can get you in on it early, you know, um... Or, you know, haircuts were 8 and $10 where I grew up. You know, and I grew up on the wrong side of town. What do you charge now? Well, uh, it's, oh, it's, it's, um, haircuts in the salon are $600 for me, and then my day rate begins at $6,000 on eight okay. hours and goes up from there. But, and that's what the industry has. You know, I do more free things than anything nowadays, honestly, for people who can't. You know, I give a free wig to any woman in the world in medical need. If I see a woman on the street who looks like she's, you know, having a hard day, I'll invite her to the salon. I've, I've had more flight attendants come in for free at both of my salons than you can ever imagine. You know, and, and philanthropy, you know, I raised $2.2 million um, in 10 days that I gave away on the Oprah Winfrey Show for a children's disorder called epidermolysis bullosa, which is a rare skin disease, um, because I met a 13-year-old in the Disney store, and then Oprah gave me the opportunity to give big when she was doing her show called The Big Give. So, you know, I think that this, you know, craft and what we do when I hear that resume, I really did this because I wanted to make people feel great. And when I hear that, I know that in each of those accomplishments, I made somebody feel great. And that's why I was there. I was there for them. I'm in the service industry. You know, I just finished the fifth installment of uh, The Biggest Loser, uh, my fifth installment of The Biggest Loser. And, you know, my job on that show is, you know, as artists, and you know this as well as I do, we could take one person and we could do a variety, eight million different haircuts, colors, lengths, everything on them and make it work. Your, what you would do on them could be different than what I would, most certainly I'm sure would be different than what I would do on them, but each would be right. I don't think there's any wrong or right in art. I don't think, you know, Michelangelo versus Van Gogh was right or wrong, or either was better. I think it was their interpretation, but I think what we do do is we take people and we use our creativity and take our art and we allow them to look in the mirror and love what they see. And that's what my job has been from the beginning of all of this, Biggest Loser, Oprah, whether it's, you know, Victoria Beckham for Fashion Week with Anna Wintour, whatever it is, my job in the service industry is to make somebody feel their best and to look in the mirror and see what I see, you know, them as. So I feel like this is an accomplishment of just that. You said something uh, that it was kind of your, your insecurities that got you into the industry. And I, yeah. and I, w- I want you to expand on that, but I wonder how often that, that is the story. You know, I mean, I, I yeah. you know, brag about that on my yeah. resume is ADD because yeah. people said focus and I'm like yeah. what are you talking about I got things to do I'm just too busy over here right. busy over there and busy right. over there and yeah. it's like had I focus I don't know you would, I'd you probably, probably be at that be car here. wash too yeah. there, yeah. <laughs> right we'd be like hey can you hand me that exactly. yeah no totally and you know what for the people that are there if that's their dream then that's great too you know I, I grew up I, I always knew that I was different you know I played baseball built my first car did all those types of things um, rode a motorcycle from six on but then there were other things about me that were different and then I also looked different you know when I was young 
younger, when I was about 12 to 14, whenever my mom and I would go anywhere, they would say, hi ladies, come on in. Everybody thought I was a girl. I don't know why. I thought I looked like a boy myself, you know? And then I went through a phase where my nickname was Chunky. You know, I gained a little bit of weight at, at for whatever age, and one of my friend's grandmother said, oh, honey, God, you're looking chunky. Then that was my nickname for, you know, a long time after that. And then, you know, my mom would give me perms in the kitchen, so me and my mom had the exact same haircut. My nickname one year was Ogilvy Home Perm because my mom was on the phone the night before with one of the neighbor ladies, and she said, oh, Helen, what are you doing? And she said, oh, honey, I just opened up a box of Ogilvy for me and Kenny. I'm giving us perms. I got on the bus, and my nickname was Ogilvy Home Perm. Um, the one thing that, you know, my dad always taught me is to make everybody respect me. So I never took it laying down, but I always knew that I was different. Do you know what I mean? I, I knew that I was different. So I was very insecure. You know, I, I actually just wrote a book, um, that's coming out in June. And in the beginning of my book, I, I say, look at I look a lot less like Brad Pitt and a lot more like Ellen DeGeneres. I'm five foot eight, five ten. If I slip a little something in my shoe, you know, I'm blah 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 blah. Because that is how I really feel about myself, you know. And I always have, but I, I feel like I, you know, I, I do with the best of what I have. And now I'm, I'm confident in who I am because I accept who I am. But all those years of feeling incredibly insecure and, you know, feeling like people were looking at me because I didn't look, you know, a certain way or because I was from the wrong side of town. All of those doubts and insecurities, you know, that could have been hurtful and were hurtful at the time actually made me who I am today and have made me incredibly powerful in myself. I'm so powerful in myself of who I am. I make no excuses for who I am, no apologies, and I believe in myself. And that allows me to believe in everyone around me. I wonder how many people in this industry or in, in other industries as well, though, didn't necessarily fit into traditional learning environments. We didn't necessarily... Maybe we fit in or we looked like we fit in, but we didn't actually feel like it was who we were, whether it was yeah. in high school or college or whatever, yeah. and kind of the outcast because of we felt like we were different. Oh, I'm sure. Which is a gift. And people listening to this right now thinking, well, I'm, I, I don't fit in and therefore yeah. I'm going to be less than. I, I'm not going to be successful. And, you know, what you're saying is that could be your best asset, the that fact is, that you that don't is. fit in. Absolutely. You know, the first salon, you know, I worked in, I, I, I grew up on, you know, the east side of town in Detroit, which is not considered the wealthy. It's, you know, the blue collar side of town. And, and there's a big split in, in, in Michigan, east and west side. And when I graduated, I went and tried to work on the west side. I thought I'll go work where haircuts are a little bit more expensive. My first job I went to, I went in. Now you have to roll back a little bit. I had a perm that was almost black. And I used was to, this still mom's perm? Or <laughs> I think it was beauty school, but I, it was a bob that I had permed. It okay, might have been a beauty okay. school. It was almost black, and I used to put gel in it so it would dry hard so you could see my scalp. Mm-hmm. It was the time of grunge, so I had acid-washed jeans that were tight-rolled down to the ankles with you know some kind of boots on, a flannel shirt, what have you. And I went to my first salon feeling really great about myself. They ignored me. They looked at me, and they ignored me. They looked at me and ignored me. And um, one of the hairdressers told me that I didn't look much like a hairdresser and laughed. Mm-hmm. Two different experiences. So I went outside um, when I left the salon that I had gone to and I called my mom and I was like, Mom, I can't believe this. They ignored me. Like, I thought these were my people. Like, here I thought I was coming home. I mean, they all look crazy to me. What are you talking about? They're really eccentric. What, what do I look like? And my mom said, you know what? Here's the thing. She goes, you go back in there and you get that job. She goes, they're trying to act cool and that's not cool. She said, they're putting up their own defenses. They probably maybe are just as insecure as you are. And here you come and you don't look like them. They all look alike and you don't look like them. So they're going to then put up their defenses for you. She goes, you go back in there and prove it to yourself and prove it to me that you can get this job. So I went back in there. I sat down on this bench waiting and the salon was called the Q. I'll give it out. The Q in uh, Birmingham, Michigan. 
And I sat there waiting on the thing, and then this little man, I look over, and this guy was doing Tai Chi or something like that in the salon over there, doing like Kung Fu moves over to the side, and his name was Kenny McDonald. And he came over to me and goes, can I help you? And by this point, one of the girls at the desk had said to me, have a seat, we'll see what we can do. But then everybody left, they left me sitting there. And then it was just this guy, and he walked over and he said, what are you doing, what are you waiting for? Can I help you? And I said, well, I was hoping to talk to somebody about getting a job. I want to be an assistant. He's like, uh, yeah, what do you, you know, ask me a couple of questions. And then he said, all right. He said, well, come back tomorrow. You got the job. And I said, I got the job. That's it? And he was like, still doing Tai Chi. Right. And he's like, yeah, come back tomorrow. And I said, okay, well, what's your name? And he said, I'm, he goes, I'm Kenny. And I said, oh my God, I'm Ken. And he said, okay. And I said, great. I said, so should I tell them when I come back? He goes, no, I'm the owner. Oh my God. And it took somebody like that who was different like me, who was in the middle of his salon doing Tai Chi or doing some sort of martial arts, to say, you know what, hey, who cares? Here's a kid that doesn't look like all of us. We're a little bit more polished and sophisticated than he is. But you know what? I'm going to give him a chance. So maybe he saw something in me that he saw in himself, and I learned so much from him. And I went there, and I worked my ass off. And one of the girls there used to call me East Side Rat Boy. And she would be like, hey, Eastside Rat Boy, come do a shampoo. And I'd look at her and say, guess what? It's going to be the best shampoo ever. And I'd think in my mind... You know, and that's it. You know, while you do with your client, I'm going to do whatever my role is at this point. So how long did you work there? I worked there from 1994 to 1996, a little over two years. I used to clean the salon. I used to go in the salon for extra money at night and put a vacuum on my back and go up into the rafters and vacuum and clean because I didn't make enough money. You know, I, I painted there. I did everything I could to make the home the best that it could be and the best environment. Things that nobody else would do, I did. There was nothing that I was too good to do, do you know what I mean? I would do yeah. anything. Once everybody left, I was the one that would stay and clean and do that. And I'd get harassed about it, but I didn't care. I wanted it to be an amazing place for not only the customers, the clients, but also for myself, right. you know, and the stylist too. You, you, that's what you have to do. Yeah. I, I get people who like they're, they're going to school or, and and they say, well, I can't come to that night class, you know, that special thing happening at night because I work at Starbucks. Yeah. I'm like, why are you whispering that? Why yeah. are you embarrassed to tell me that? I think it's character building Absolutely. and career building to do whatever it takes, do whatever you have to do right. to live your dream. One of the things that I assisted Orbe in Miami Beach, and one of the uh, amazing legend, uh, one of the things that he loved the most about me and when I actually got his attention was when two strippers uh, whose hair I was doing in Miami Beach came into the salon and he was like, okay, who are they? They're genius. And I said, well, Orbe, I got to tell you the truth. I'm a I'm house mom at a strip club in my, down the street because I'm not making enough money and I, I'm behind on rent and my car got repossessed, you know, whatever else. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm a house mom at a strip club and I do all their hair here on Sundays when I'm cleaning the salon. And he was, you know, went, actually went to the um, strip club with me that night. Do you know what I mean? So, and I've never been embarrassed about the things that I've had to do to, you know, make ends meet to follow my dream. And you're right, it is character building. So you left Detroit, went mm -hmm. to Miami. How long were you there? I was in Miami until 1998. You know, I was so in just a couple of years. Just a couple of years. One of the with Orbe. With the whole Orbe, time? yeah, okay. yeah. One of the girls that was in the Michigan salon at the Q, this amazing girl, Sherry. She was going through W Magazine and showed me, oh, wow, look at this. Orbe opened up in, in Miami. Wow. I didn't know who he was. I remember was. when that was. Yeah, I didn't yeah. know who he was. I didn't know anything about it. And I was like, wow, that looks really glamorous. That's really cool. And by this time, you know, here's the thing that I think you should do as stylist. You know, even though people were giving me a hard time saying I didn't look like I fit in and call me names and all that kind of stuff, 
I quickly built up my own reputation. I started doing things for the local news channels. I started doing little fashion shows. And I went out and, and was like, I don't care what they think about me. What do you guys think? You want to give me a chance here? Let's make this happen. And then suddenly I was busier and more popular than the chip calling me bad names. And I was like, oh, you know what? Go ahead, just smoke break because I'm busy. I'll see you later. Can you go grab that for me? I'll, I'll give you a little something. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, so then when I, you know, I saw this, uh, Sherry had showed me this thing about Orbe in Miami. And I was like, you know what? Not for them, not for anybody else, but I want to prove it to myself that I could get this job. Mm-hmm. It took 12 resumes and then finally a picture and a note to get uh, someone to call me back. And Omar, his uh, manager at the time, called me back and, you know, unbelievably hired me within five minutes. Mm-hmm. I got my ass kicked and handed to me on a platter in Michigan trying to get a job. And then here I go down to one of the most prestigious salons in the world that are really kicking it. Right. And I got hired in five minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was like once you drop the walls, and I think that's one thing in our industry that I'd love to see change is the arrogance and against each other and the animosity towards each other. Just because we're hairdressers doesn't mean we can't get along. Like, I love other hairdressers. I love seeing what they're doing. You know, I don't ever feel a sense of competition, and I never have. Like, I think, you know, Chris McMillan is a great friend, and I think he's amazing. Orlando Pita, Sam McKnight. There's so many incredible Orbe. You know, there's so many geniuses out there, you know, that are doing things, and I'm eager to see what they're doing. That was always frustrating for me, too, to go to, yeah. a, to a major show, and it's like, if you stood under this banner for this product line, this manufacturer, then you weren't allowed to cross the line to... Right. Have right. a drink at the bar, you know, with somebody who's yeah. with it. And that just never made sense to Keep me. I was divided. always trying to sneak back to everybody's backstages to meet people. Yeah. And, you know, I want my career to be inclusive, not exclusive. Isn't that, the, you know, for a group of people and, and just, you know, touching that for the last thing, who many of us, you know, are insecure. I know that all artists are insecure. Actors are incredibly insecure, but all artists are insecure. So for a lot of group of us who have at many times felt not included, how dare we then not include each other? We should right. band together right. and put all that aside and be like, hey, we're this amazing team, part of this incredible career, and let's just move forward and help each other. I love Orbe. I'm, I'm glad that you brought yeah. him up. Yeah. I've always wanted to interview him, I, yeah. and I never have. I've interviewed everybody except for Orbe. Yeah. Well, I've interviewed Vidal Sassoon and I, yeah. Trevor Sorby and everybody, yeah. but not Orbe. Vidal Sassoon and Orbe are uh, my two greatest uh, you know, influences. In, you know, I went to Vidal Sassoon right after um, beauty school. I took a bus to Toronto. Um, to go there, and then I, I had the luxury of meeting him several times and being so inspired by him. But the two of them, and then you know, Odile Gilbert. I mean, there are some killer hairdressers out there. And the great thing about this industry is that there's room for all of us, and you tailor this career to who you are and yourself. I mean, you can be a stylist in a salon behind a chair, you can be a salon owner, you can be an onset stylist, you can be a mix of both. Everyone that works with me here, Andrea's always traveling. They just got back from London doing stuff with Victoria, they're going here, there, that's the other stuff, but she has a full clientele here in the salon. Mm -hmm. So the amazing thing about this career is that you can make it, it's nobody else, first off, it's no one else's responsibility. You know, I don't think you should ever go into a salon and say, what are you going to do for me? You should go into a salon and say, here's what I'm going to do for you. Okay, well, don't pass by that message <laughs> that quickly. I mean, yeah, it's important that. Because you do get that a lot. You, you just say, you know, I'll work here, but are you going to do advertising for me? Right. Or are you going to... Right. Right. Well, when everybody, anybody new comes into my salon, you know, I had somebody a while ago come to work here, and I used to have these cards up front that had like 40 of my covers on it with everybody you can imagine. And there was a girl that worked here for like a year or so and she went, went up, not knowing that I was around, she went up and she tapped on the covers, all the pictures, and she goes, when am I going to get this? That's why I'm here. Oh, I spun around and I said, well, that's so funny. When you go out and make it happen, I'm going to give you the opportunities. I'll give you a house to do it within. I'll support you. You can use anything of mine that you want. I'm really supportive of my stylist. I give them anything that they need. But go out and do it yourself. And that's what I tell anyone that comes here. 
I will help you. I will teach you everything I know. I'll share with you everything I have and you, you know, hopefully will share and inspire and teach me as well. But go out there and carve your own. You don't feel best, you know, there's no greater way to feel accomplished than having known that you had a major part in it yourself. Right. If somebody just hands you something, there's not much pride in that. Right. If somebody gives you tools and wherewithal and you grow and you, you know, are inspired and then you go and create something from that, there's a lot of pride in that. So, you know, when I worked at Orbe, here I was working for one of the most incredible hairdressers in the world and so grateful for the opportunity. I didn't see him for the six, first six months that I was down there. So I was, you know, working all over the streets, you know, uh, down there doing all different stuff. I started these little fashion lunches at um, a hotel, Astro Place Hotel. I borrowed models from a modeling agency, clothes from clothing stores. And I was making my own things happen because I was so honored to be there. And I felt responsible to honor Orbe. But then I also knew that just having that badge, even though I hadn't seen him for the first six months, he already gave me something by letting me work there. So to go out and be able to say, hey, guess what? I don't have any clients yet going to Gucci at Bell Harbor and say, I don't have any clients yet, but guess what? I'm working at Orbe. Right. I'm down there. Do you want to come in on Saturdays? I'm an assistant these days, but come in on Saturdays. I'll give you free blowouts if you tell all your customers that can afford to shop here at Gucci that I did your hair. Do you know what I mean? You can find ways to make it happen. It's not, it shouldn't be easy. Nothing you know, great in life is, comes easy. So obviously Orbe was a, a big break for you. Yeah. And then at some point you, you moved to LA. What was that all about? Well, I moved to New York and then I moved to LA and, you know, in New York I was doing tons of fashion. Um, I was doing a lot of fashion in Miami Beach and then I started going back and forth to and from uh, New York and doing all fashion. I know, you know, it's funny because I know everybody thinks that, you know, either uh, Jessica Simpson or Eva Longoria gave birth to me, but, you know, I was doing tons of other stuff, you know. You're an overnight success. <laughs> I know, right? Thanks at, to them. At almost 20 years into the, <laughs> at almost 20 years into the game now. But, right. you know, and I'm so grateful for you know, working with them. That's a joke that I've said, you know, with both of them and, and would say with them standing here. But, you know, so I was doing a lot of fashion and stuff in New York. Before celebrities were on fashion magazines, I was doing models for the interior, graduated to full pages, then magazine covers. And I had actually done, because I don't do a lot of men's hair. I, I cut David Beckham's hair. That's, you know, as far as I go with men's hair, I've done other guys, but... I would cut David Beckham's <laughs> hair. I know. He's got such a great head of hair to cut. And he's so cool. But so I had actually cut this male model. This is how I got to L.A., believe it or not. I had cut this male model's hair in New York. And there was this guy that I met through a friend. And, you know, he was a struggling model. And he would just tip me. And I needed the tip so I wouldn't charge him for haircuts and everything. And he came out here to do a runway show, a fashion show from New York. And um, the girl that just left that you met, Tippereth, was his agent. She was a modeling agent at the time, but she was in an office that also represented hair and makeup. And I had given him this cool little haircut, although I think I always give men haircuts that look like women. I think I turn men into lesbians. It's kind of like my hair. So I had given him this kind of quasi-lesbian shaved on one side thing. I don't even know what I was doing, totally experimenting. And um, Tina, Tip's roommate, was the agent, and she called me in New York, and she said, okay, I just saw the most incredible haircut. Nobody's doing this have you considered working in LA? And I was like, no, thank you. Not interested. Like I wasn't interested in, in LA at all. So hung up with her. She called me again a month ago. She called me three times saying, you want to come out to LA? And I was like, oh, God, you know, started getting really cold in New York. And then I also had the opportunity to go work with Kathy Ireland in Los Angeles for her Kmart advertising. I'd met her in New York. So I said, okay, you know, what? I'm going to go. So I went out to, came out to LA, stayed at Tip and Tina's house. Tina had a young son, two years old. They lived in the hills. They had a pool. 
It was amazing. I didn't work for the whole two months I was there. I cleaned their house. I shopped their groceries. I cleaned their bathrooms, filled their cars up with gas, checked the air in their tires, did their laundry, did everything, and cut their hair and did their hair at their beck and call. But it was beautiful outside. It was amazing. Wait, you did all this after working at Orbe? But you were... (laughs) Yeah, no, I came out to LA. This was my experience. You do what you have to do. You do what you have to do. And, you know, Tina sent me out to meet a bunch of publicists and a bunch of people just to let people look at my book. And... And I did, the funny thing is, at the same time, I was testing with now one of the world's most recognized photographers, a photographer named Tony Duran, who shoots everything you can imagine. Huge fashion, but he was um, J-Lo's photographer for years. And he and I used to test, which means you don't get paid, and it means nobody's sponsoring it. So it means it's all your own work. He and I used to test to build our books in their backyard by their pool. They'd call me. I'd be in the middle of doing laundry. And they'd call me and say, hey, look, Tony's coming over in 10 minutes. He's got three models. Here's what you're going to need. Get it. Get ready. He's coming over now. He'd knock on the door. We'd do a photo shoot in the backyard by the pool. And I built pages for my book. Tina then sent those pages with the stuff I was doing in New York and got some interest by the celebrities here. So I went back home to New York. And then I got a phone call from the president of Sony Music and Tina simultaneously asking me to come and do a shoot with uh, this girl out in Los Angeles. I wasn't interested. I had just gotten back, blah, blah, blah. Then, um, you know, one thing led to another. Tina called, and I came out to Los Angeles, and I think for my first award show in L.A., I did seven actresses for one award show. Six or seven actresses. Calista Flockhart, Celia Ward, Portia de Rossi, Michael Michelle, Lara Flynn Boyle. I was a nut. I didn't know that, you know, I don't know what I was thinking. I just did, did, did everything. Did they all know that you were doing the other ones, they too? They did, yeah. I had actually met Celia Ward in New York. I did a coach campaign that she was a part of, and she right. loved me. And then I met Lara Flynn Boyle through someone else. And, yeah, they did. Like, I was actually late. The last person I went to was Michael Michelle, and her and Portia de Rossi lived in the same building. And I was late to Michael Michelle by an hour, and, which is not good. Nobody do this. By an hour. She had already pulled her hair back into a ponytail. I grabbed the Chanel brooch she had sitting on the table. I whipped it into a chignon, put the Chanel brooch in, and she got best hair of the night. <laughs> that's hilarious. So, you know, but so that's how it happened. Then I met, you know, Jessica in 1999, even in 2004. I started doing Oprah, I think, in 2002. Okay, take a breath. Yeah. And I think I know the answer to this already, but, like, if I were to ask you, okay, name the big break. There wasn't one big break. It was, Mm-mm. you have to do... Anything and everything. It's a whole bunch. Like if you asked one person to name one thing that they do to be successful, like if I asked you, what's the one thing that you do in this salon that makes you so successful? You couldn't name one thing. It's hundreds of little tiny things that you do from the right music to the right coffee to the right uh, salon is clean to the dress code. It's all those little things that add up. 100%. And I think that's what people are thinking. It's like, well, I'll be successful once that one big break yeah, comes along. Yeah. And it's, it's quit looking for that. Yeah, no, for sure. I actually... So that you say yes to all the little things along the, the way. all the little things. I used to do a fashion magazine in Miami that I then showed to Orbe for him, you know, to see the capability of my work so that he would include me. I wanted to be a part of his team. And I was only a salon hairdresser at the time. Um, and I wanted to work with him. And I was doing this cool French magazine that I thought, you know, fashion pictures where I spent more money on hair pieces and stuff than I was making for the shoots. But I did them because they were great pictures. Later, I found out that it was a paper magazine equivalent to Our Inquirer. But, you know, but it was still amazing pictures. And then I built up this book. And when I showed it to Orbe, he was impressed. You know what I mean? So it is the little things. You know, Nikki Taylor was the first celebrity I ever did, um, you know, cover with in Miami Beach. There's so many little things along the way that led, you know, nobody will consider you for that big break that you're thinking you need unless you have built up a reputation or a body of work before that to make yourself qualified for that big break. Do you know what I mean? So it isn't one big break or one lucky... You know, Oprah said it. I think... I, I, 
don't want to quote her exactly because I don't remember exactly what she said, but it's something along the lines is there's no such thing as luck. It's when preparation meets opportunity. Mm-hmm. So you can say I'm lucky, but I was prepared when an opportunity came along. So if you think you know, you're waiting for this big break and this big break comes along and you're not prepared, I'll tell you now, they'll look right over you mm-hmm. if you're not prepared. If you don't have it there with you to show what you've done and what you're qualified and capable of, you can't just tell someone that, hey, this is how qualified I am. Mm-hmm. Okay, great, show me something. What have you done? Well, I have it, but I know this is my break. Okay, keep it moving. Do you know what I mean? Do you know who uh, Marianne Williamson is? Love her. Love her, love her. Yeah, I was just at her apartment. She's right there on the cover of my book there. I didn't even realize that. Wow. Oh, I love her. Love her. Love her. She used to say that, you know, everybody's waiting for that spotlight. Mm -hmm. When the truth of the matter is they haven't practiced the gig. So if they ever got the spotlight, you know, here's the spotlight. They make total fools of themselves. Now what do you do? Right. Exactly. You got to practice, practice, practice the gig before you're ever going to get the spotlight. That's right. No matter what. And it's... You know, the most, some of the most gratifying things I've ever done have been things where nobody ever saw them. You know, there was no money exchange. There was no recognition. I wasn't written up in the magazine. Some of the greatest things I've ever done are my private things that I have with somebody, those accomplishments. It isn't just about, you know, today, the one, I, I love the fact, I actually had this conversation with somebody over dinner last night who's a chef, and we were talking about another mutual friend that I have, Gordon Ramsay, who's this accomplished chef with 19 Michelin stars on his restaurants and all these things, and you know, someone said, yeah, he's kind of, you know, mentioned just how as a hairdresser, you know, in my field. And I said, you know, it's funny because years ago, people didn't look at our jobs in the service industry as, you know, it was like if you were going to school to be a lawyer or a doctor, whatever you were doing wasn't good enough. Do you know what I mean? Um, and now, you know, chefs and, and hairdressers and all these people in the service industry that we use our hands, as our tools are getting this recognition, which is great because I think when you've worked as hard as we have worked and lots of other people out there have worked, you deserve to be recognized, you know what I mean? Celebrated, quote unquote, if you will. But I feel like the word celebrity is almost a nasty term in the fact that everybody wants it now. That's what when younger people are going to school, it's to become a celebrity hairdresser. Well, what does that mean? Like, what does that mean to you? It does, I guarantee it doesn't mean to me what you think it means to me or even what my career might even suggest. That's not, you know, what it means to me. So I think that when you think of all these little things that have happened and like your, your quote with Marianne Williamson, you know, you have to practice the gig before you get in the spotlight. That's what makes a true celebrity to me. Somebody who's pounded the pavement, someone who's worked their ass off with nothing. There were so many moments along this career where I was way behind on my rent, where I couldn't afford this, where I was calling my mom to use her credit card to buy a hairpiece for somebody because I couldn't afford it. You know what I mean? Those are the moments that I celebrate. So if in that, that makes me a celebrity hairdresser, then rock on. Because that's what I'm, I'm, I'm most proud of, that I kicked ass when I had to kick ass and I made it happen. You know, that's what I think is cool to me. I like what you said that, you know, some of the things that you celebrate the most are the, are the most valuable to you or things that nobody's ever seen. Yeah. But, it, but there was some other kind of a, an exchange there. Yeah. With myself, pride, that I could do something. I wonder something. how many people will just pass up those opportunities because they think, again, I'm not going to get any press for this. Right. So why do it? I'm not going to get paid. You know, I hear people all the time, well, I want to do photo shoots. Well, then go do them. Well, nobody's hired me yet. So you're waiting for somebody to pay you to do what you love to do? That's right. Right. So then you don't love it. To me, if you really love something, you do it no matter what. I mean, you know as well as I do, and people... You know, when I was really doing tons of covers and flying around the world, I mean, I flew to Greece to do a cover of one of the In Styles with Jennifer Lopez, then flew back for Dancing with the Stars or something with Lady Gaga, like something crazy. 
I got $75 for that cover of InStyle or $150, whatever it is. When you're doing editorial, there's no money in it. It's right. less money. You use more money in product, so you have to do it because you love it. You know, you can do 8 million covers. I have so many great friends of mine who live in New York City who are the biggest and baddest and coolest unsung heroes who are these amazing editorial stylists who blow me away and are just so unbelievable. And they're making editorial rates. So they're not living high on the hog. Right. They're doing it because they really love it. They're doing that because they love it. Okay, so how did you get to Oprah? How'd that come about? Um, a really great client of mine, a friend of mine, uh, was an actress by the name of Victoria Principal. You may love know her. her. Love, 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 love. love yes, her. yes. Love Victoria Principal. Um, and she, I, I learned so much from her, too. She was a true old, you know, fashion Hollywood actress where she wasn't, you know, the, the kind of pop culture girl. She was very specific, very, very glamorous. And I learned a lot from her. And she, we've been working together for years. I did all of her skincare um, uh, infomercials and everything. And she had gotten called, uh, her and some other actresses, um, uh, Beverly Peel and some other people had gotten called to do makeovers on Oprah, age-defying makeovers. Mm-hmm. So Victoria called me up and said, would you want to come on to Oprah and be my hands? I'll tell you what you need to do, and would you be my hands? And I said, absolutely. So I went there, and I made over a rock and roll couple who both had matching um, perms down to their waist. Killed it. Killed it. And, you know, Oprah was, obviously liked what she saw, and so did all, you know, the producers, because they called me back in two weeks Mm. and said, we're doing another show. We want you to come on your own this time. And, And I called Victoria. And I said, I want to make sure you're okay with this. Because you have to, you can never forget who brought you to the dance. And you can oh never, gosh, ever, thank you. Thank you. Thank never you. not give kudos to those people. Mm-hmm. You know, I've mentioned in my book that I wrote, I mentioned everyone along the way that helped me. You, because you know what? You, I wouldn't be here. If one of those people didn't help me, I wouldn't be sitting here with you right now. Well, you mentioned the guy in Detroit. Absolutely. You know, doing Tai Chi or yeah. whatever in yeah. the back of a salon. Yeah, totally. You, you, you could have said, please, I don't even want to mention Detroit. No. Yeah. But. No, you have to. And so I called Victoria and I said, you know, um, Victoria, they've asked me to come back, you know, and I, I just want to make sure that's okay with you. I'm sure it's just, you know, a background hairdresser or whatever else. And I went back and, and did a great job again, you know, and, and Ellen Rakuten, uh, executive producer over there for 20, 19, 20 years with like 13 Emmys in her apartment, said to me recently, you know, you were on the show about 40 times with all the reruns and everything and, and all this kind of stuff. And I grew up loving Oprah. Because Oprah, to me, you know, 1986 when the show came on, you know, that's around the time people were calling me Miss. You know, she was, (laughs) right, she was the person who put herself out there, and I felt like she was, she campaigned for all of us. She actually made me feel great about myself before she ever even knew it. So then to eventually one day stand, and you read it in in the bio, but to stand before Oprah and have her recognize my work, that moment if there's any one moment that is my absolute greatest moment, it was to stand before somebody who even before she knew me, I looked up to her for acceptance well before she knew me. And then to have her accept me, oh my God, you have no idea. I mean, literally shaking my boots gives me goosebumps still. That is, you know, it's something that you work hard for. And, you know, I had worked hard up until that point to have the opportunity. And when I, you know, had the opportunity, I performed. So it wasn't by a chance of luck. And it wasn't like I just went there and did this. I actually worked for it. And in that, I can take pride that she recognized me and feel like I gave her something too, you know, in, in return for what she gave me, which was immeasurable, you know. So, wow. You know. I love her. Now, how do you know Diana Schmitke? Is that how you know it from the Oprah show? Yeah. Diana was there doing the, she did all the Yeah, men. she came over and did the... Um, she's the one who introduced us a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, right? yeah, no, absolutely. Okay. Diana, I've actually love known Diana. Diana for a while. She's I actually, great. 
this restaurant across the street, the Italian restaurant. Yeah, El I love that place. Yeah, it's so I, good. I took her to dinner there. Yeah, like one of my th- favorite. Two weeks ago, she had never been there. Yeah, you know, we've actually been friends for a really long time. And you know, whenever I would do big um, Oprah makeover shows, the producers would always say to me, you know, hey, if, like there were two other shows that I did. One was um, Great American Haircut, and they had asked me, you know, who's who, what other hairdressers are on your radar? I was like, Harry Josh, Kimberly Kimball, Ted Gibson, Rita Hazan. And one of the producers actually said to all the hairdressers when we were in a group, you know, you know, Ken mentioned all you guys. You know That's what I mean? Fun. I always wanted to be there with other people mm-hmm. and see other people. And when um, we were going to do that Oprah show where Diana was, they said to me, hey, what about this girl Diana Schmidtke? She, and I said, oh, my God. She is um, – she, first off, she does the best men's haircuts. Right. I wish I could cut men's hair as, as good as she does. She's one of the coolest girls you'll ever meet in your entire life, one of the most laid-back people you ever meet, but so talented and so um, – just on it. Like, that girl is an amazing businesswoman, and she's a huge role model. I mean, she, I, she's inspired me. We've worked together for years. I get the same press junket, same photo shoot. She's with the guys. I'm with the girls, you know, kind of thing. But she's always been one of my absolute favorite people. I did an interview with her. I, I yeah. sent you her master's interview, too. Yeah. She was great. She's killer, isn't she? And that she? was the first time I ever met her was yeah. when she showed up to the hotel room for me to interview yeah. her, and we just became best friends yeah, ever totally since Yeah, totally hit it off. She's yeah. one of those people that, you know, incredible personality. I love her. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. Let's talk about uh, QVC. How's that career? QVC is amazing. You know, QVC is really cool because you know, for me, well, having, so tell our audience what you have. Yeah. There. You have the, the QVC. I um, uh, sell a hair, a hair extension line called Hairdo, and they're clip-in hair extensions. And you know, I'm really all about natural beauty. I'm, I'm about working with your natural texture. I'm you know, starting there, getting a great haircut that works with your natural texture as a good foundation, not to fight so much with your hair, and then to you know, to shake it up on the weekends or for something big, and you know. I've been using uh, hair extensions. I learned how to do hair extensions in Detroit, uh, where I grew up. So I learned how to, to weave them in, to braid them in, and all that kind of stuff. And when I came out to L.A. and New York, too, I think one of the things that people recognized in me is that I would change a model's you know, hair for an L shoot on every page. She'd have different hair, long hair, short hair, light hair, dark hair. And that was my thing. That's what I like to be able to do, um, even though lots of people think that, that I'm best known, or I, and I may be best known for long, cascading hair. That wasn't really where my initial passion was. My initial passion was to be able to change people and show people you know, how great they could look different. So hair extensions, I started using them on all the women I mentioned to you for the red carpets and things that I was doing. I gave Heather Locklear short hair the first time I've ever worked with her. Here she is, this amazing, gorgeous woman known for her long hair. And for one of the big award shows, I think the Emmys or Golden Globes, I gave her short hair. You know what I mean? Everybody. So hair extensions became very popular. And then, you know, I was working with Jessica and um, Jessica Simpson, a great friend. And she had had this long hair. And, and the record label she was with was dictating what her hair should look like. And it kind of was like what all the other blonde pop stars in that category, you know, um, looked like. So... Jessica was going, I think, to the 2003 Music Awards, and she and I both were like, you know what, we got to shake this up. We were shaking it up on some uh, photo shoots and stuff, and she was wearing a, a, a suit. And I said, you know what, we should go with like an old school, not this long hair with this suit, it's just going to kill it. The line of the suit is so amazing, the architecture of the suit is so incredible. Let's do, since it's a very kind of masculine suit, but with all her curves, it was incredibly feminine. Let's, with the suit, do a contrast and do like an old Marilyn Monroe bob. Let's go really short and kind of go Marilyn. And people loved it. I mean, it got written up everywhere. And when um, the journalist asked her if she had cut her hair, she said, oh, no, I'm wearing a wig. So... You know, it kind of was stemmed from all my work like that. Was she wearing a wig? A full hairpiece, yeah. Not okay, a full yeah. wig, but a, like a three-quarter. 
you know, so slowly but surely, then all, you know, the actresses I was working with, Eva, everybody, you know, I, I was always doing hair pieces. I was the guy, you know, when I met Victoria Beckham in Rome, I was there with Jennifer Lopez, and I had a room full of hair laid out. And when Victoria first uh, moved to the U.S., she goes, I want that guy that had all the hair. Uh -huh. So I got known as the guy, you know, because I wanted to know if she was putting on something that was, you know, a certain color dress, I could make her hair whatever color I wanted to, that I thought, that we wanted to, but whatever color I thought would work, I wanted to know that I could present that to her and not just talk about it or have to take her and color her hair, you know. So I just wanted to have all my tools. So long story short... Hair extensions became very popular to me and to my work. So it was every interview I was doing, they were asking me about hair extensions. So I actually was in Las Vegas. I designed Celine Dion's show in Las Vegas with Franco Tragon. I designed all the... Um, the one she's doing now? The one that, the original one. Okay. But this is the extension, yeah. Got it. So I designed Celine's show in uh, Las Vegas. And anything that had to do with the hair and headdresses and all that, I was in on all of that stuff and did Celine's hair as well. Well, at the time, Celine had cut her hair very short very short and platinum blonde. And people knew we were working together, so there were these, and if it was you, I'm not mad at you, there were people with these little websites calling me the, the devil. Ken Pavis is the devil with like devil horns, these little websites, because Celine had short hair. Celine Dion so had, they had short hair. they thought you They thought I her? had done it, but I actually didn't do it. I was brought on, you know, during all of that and then to grow her hair out. So long story short, uh, there was an amazing um, extension stylist named Sheila Stotts. Oh, you may know. Sheila. Yeah, and Sheila was doing her hair extensions. Right. So... I had never cut great lengths before. Sheila put her hair extensions in, and her mm. hair was incredibly short. It took me four hours to cut her hair because there were so many hair extensions in. Mm. I missed a flight to meet Jessica somewhere. It wound up part of Jessica's reality show, The Newlyweds, that I didn't make it to her, but then I did make it, long story short. So I got introduced to great lengths, and then the parent company's Hair You Wear for uh, North and South America distribution. So this was all, you know, coming and, and building up, and then um, there's a great guy named Brett Butcher, who you may know as well who um, does great lengths, he and I were on the phone and I said, yeah, I have this idea for these hair extensions. As I was ordering hair, I think, for uh, something to do with Celine, and I said, yeah, I have this idea for these new hair extensions, but I'm talking to this company in New York. And he said to me, you should actually talk to Hair You Wear. They're the best. You should talk to them. Don't go any further. And I'd already opened, started a contract with these people in New York. And he said, no, um, you know, meet with Hair You Wear. So I met with Hair You Wear. And I showed them my idea, which was a half wig. And I met with my lawyer, and we sat in the room, and um, they said to me, so show us your product. What is it? And I said, it's here. It's right here. And my lawyer was a blonde woman, and she had this great killer little bob on, this 10-inch bob. And I said, okay. And I unclipped and took it off, and her long hair fell out. And they were like, oh, my God, you got to be kidding. What is that? I showed them. I said, it's a half wig. And they were like, that's genius. Um, so we got into business doing the hair extensions. Jessica was, you know, our spokesperson and, and uh, my muse for many years. And we took them to QVC, and now they're sold, you know, around the world in tons of different countries. And, um, you know, I think that hair is like an accessory, and I think if you can realize that, it's a lot more fun for you and a lot more fun for your client. You know, there are a lot of things you can do that you don't have to commit to, and that also don't have to be incredibly time-consuming and or you know, really expensive for your client. For you to be artistic, I don't think it has to be a weight for your client all the time. So the extensions to me really came from that. And then, you know, women around the world love them. I have women all the time come up to me, hey, I'm wearing your hair extensions. That's great, that's great. So like you, I always say, you don't have to whisper. Do you still shoot new commercials or episodes or whatever they, they're called for, for QVC? QVC? Yeah, I actually just got back from QVC in London. Um, I, I'm going to QVC next week here. Yeah, I still do QVC. QVC is an amazing, you know, I'm actually going... Uh, to QVC's having an Oscar party here next week, and my friends over at Stila Cosmetics um, and I are doing something together uh, with hairdo and hair you wear for um, QVC. But QVC is amazing because it really is like 
a live commercial. So for any product that you're selling, especially one like this, which is you know different, I get to show women how to really use it. Mm-hmm. And, and, then, and then they get to decide if it's for them or not. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like an education you know, right there for them. So I love doing QVC. It's a lot of fun. It's a small room. It's like this. There's only like six people in the room, but it's going out to tens of millions of people. And you forget that when you're in the room. I act a little bit silly when I'm on there. So you have to forget that. Otherwise you'll probably go crazy. I would go crazy. No, it's going out to that many people. Yeah. I get nervous. Okay. We'll talk about being a a salon owner. No, wait, wait, do you have two salons? Where's the other one? My first salon is in my hometown of Detroit. My mom and dad run it. Okay. And then I have a salon here. So being a salon owner for me, you know, the the greatest thing about being a salon owner for me are the people that work here with me. Mm -hmm. You know, I never say anyone works for me. I always say everyone works together, that we're a team. Because I learn so much from everybody around me. And it's a a real family here, you know. And it's a business. You know, at the end of the day, you can never forget that it's a business. Because without the business, when you lose the house, you lose all the other necessities that it takes to function – you can never lose sight of that because without that, you have nothing. Have you ever run the salon as though it were not a business or were For your many eyes? Years. Okay, yeah. And, For what, many and what does that look like? A bunch not of people. Good. Yeah. Not good. I normally. We're do, having a lot of fun. We all get yeah. to hang out with each other, but, yeah. you know. I wasn't always the best business person. Like I said, I didn't get into this for any business reasons or any great financial gain. And I did it from a place of love and compassion. I love people. I love to be around people and hang around. And I get all warm and fuzzy inside when we do something good together. And when I get to see stylists like Andreas, you know, uh, spread her wings. And then, you know, I had some people on my personal business team say, okay, well, now we need to turn this over to uh, make a profit because you're still paying for everything. You're still kicking in to keep it going. And I was like, oh, wow. Well, how's that? Well, why is that? How could that be? And they're like, okay, well, let us show you how what plus what is supposed to equal this. So I, I got an education, you know, in being a salon owner. And that's the other thing. For myself, I needed to learn that this is a serious business. You know, I had created this career for myself outside that I had become successful in. And then, you know, owning a salon was a whole nother avenue of this profession and business. And you need to have an education in it. You need to take it serious. You need to teach yourself. You need to constantly learn. And you need to talk to other people. I talked to, you know, a a good friend of mine, um, Byron Williams, has a great salon out here. And he and I threw a baby shower recently for a friend of ours. And I picked his brain, too. Do you know what I mean? And he's got a salon close to mine. So so how long have you been a salon owner, then? I've been a salon owner for uh, 12 years now. My my one in Michigan, I opened 12 years ago. And where did you get the education then for the business side of it? I learned along the way. I wish I would have known more before I started. Now, the things that I do know, you know, my mom is the salon manager in Detroit. And my dad, you know, helps run the salon. And I learned learned along the way, the hard way. Mm -hmm. But through that, you know, have again come great successes, you know. I'm wondering what what your resources are. My resources are like talking to people, Mm -hmm. you know, finding successful people. And, you know, my mom tells me that um, how she got me to eat breakfast in the morning when I was a little kid was to tell me that that's what Walt Disney ate for breakfast. Meaning I was was always uh, enamored Mm -hmm. by successful people. And so I always wanted to know who they are and what they did and how they lived their lives. And so that's how I learned about most things. Rather than, as opposed to a book or a seminar. Let's say hi to Eva real fast. Come here. Hi, Vinyaka. Oh, my God, that's awesome. Baby. He doesn't know anything. 
one word in the beginning, and he won't let me talk otherwise. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. like, yeah. take a breath, yeah. shut yeah. up already. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm with your Editing my movie, I saw the first cut. God, is it amazing? Amazing. So I was editing, and I told Tip to come to my house to blow me out because I have this thing to do. She was okay, and I'm editing, and they go, so Tip's here. And I go, and I'm in Santa Monica. I go, right. oh my God, I just lost track because you're like in the dark, in a dark room. I don't know what time it is. Yeah. So I was like, I'll meet you. How gorgeous spot. is her texture? No, why it is not. This is like oh, so a rat's nest it's right so now. It's so gorgeous. It's so I sexy. Can, every time somebody blows me out, they're like, <laughs> you're like, right. did you color your hair? Yeah. And I was like, is that your natural color? I mean, no. I'm natural, natural texture. Well, it's really dry right now. But yeah, does it naturally do this? Yes. Uh, yeah. yeah, it naturally it's does. It's so this gorgeous. Uh, We're going to Brazil. Woo! You're not coming to. Um, oh, nobody's going to Berlin. I'm going to Berlin by myself. That's no fun. Well, it's going. But to you're going to be in London for your birthday, right? Yeah. Are you going to be that. there? No. Why? So I'm going to be getting married in Hawaii on the 18th. What? Yes. Without anybody? Just Tip's dad is going to uh, do this. We're going to do a ceremony here. All right. Whatever. I know. Okay. You're cute, Muñeca. Nice to meet you. I eat. Hilarious. She's so sweet. I love her. I love her. You know, I, I think that the greatest thing that we can always by do... The, by the way, we were just... Sitting here, and, and who walks in? Eva Longoria, looking so gorgeous. So I just got to meet that beautiful, incredible woman, and so wow. Sorry for the interruption, Eva. No, that was beautiful. That was <laughs> Good, right? Isn't she sweet? Yeah, sweetheart. So gorgeous. Um, but you know, you learn from everybody around you. I, you know, Eva's a business uh, uh, owner, and, and she was just talking to you to mention that she's directing a short film right now and was editing. You learn all along the way from everybody around you, and I think that that's what we have to remember: is that we are each other's greatest resource. Mm-hmm. You know, to know that I could come to you and say to you, hey, you know, when let me ask you something. I'm having a little bit of problem in this. And be humble enough to say, guess what? I don't know everything about everything. I had a question for you. <laughs> I haven't been too successful in this area. I'm good over here, but in this area, I'm not doing so well. What can you tell me? Yeah, but there's a couple of things that you mentioned that will allow you to be able to reach out to those people. Like, number one, you are still giving accolades to the people who open those doors for you no matter... Yeah. How long ago? Number two, that you said you never forget who brought you to the dance. You know, mm-hmm. when you practice those things, then you still have the right, so to speak, to pick up the phone and say, "Hey, yeah. you know, give me some advice on this. How can you help me on this?" So, yeah, yeah, but, you gotta, but you got to still be giving it back and remember where you came from. One hundred percent. Yeah, you know what I was most proud about when I did Celine Dion's show. You know, forty-one hundred programs went out a night to the audience, and the thing I was most proud of is in my bio page, the last sentence about me. And you can take this either way, but I was super proud of it. It said, you know, the greatest thing about Ken Pavis may not be the hair that you see styled on the stage, but the fact that he's never forgotten he's in the service industry. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? That to me is a huge compliment. Why is that important to you? You know who just said that to me? Oh, Kelsey Fry, who we yeah. were talking about, who I interviewed a couple months ago, said the same thing. At the end of the day... We're working for somebody. Exactly. We're working... You know, it actually... Ma- and what's wrong with that? There, you know, there's nothing wrong with what's that. What's wrong That's with just, being a working man yeah. or woman? You know what yeah. I mean? I think, you know, what happens... If you forget that you're working for somebody, what ends up happening is an unhappy customer, an un- mm-hmm. unhappy client. My greatest successes are when... 
it's a compromise. You know, if somebody sits in your chair, it's not your job to say, oh, guess what? You're only going to look great with this haircut, and here's what you get. Then you have somebody that walks out with, you know, their shoulders arched over. They look, they're not happy. They're not feeling confident. But if you can listen to somebody and realize that your job is to provide a service to them and to communicate their hopes and dreams through that service, not just dictate what they're going to have, that's the great success. So that's why it's so important to me because I'm not doing my job or serving my purpose if I'm not including the person in my chair. I see so many times all these little hairdressers that you know have so much attitude and so much arrogance who forget that there's somebody else in the chair and it becomes all about them and their haircut and then the haircut overpowers the woman. It's about everything. Talk about your ongoing training. Like I'm, I'm sure you're yeah. still learning technically. Oh, you're still learning in business. I'm, you know, I mean, what, give give our listeners some some resources of where they should be looking. You know, I think to learn, to continue to learn and grow, you should look everywhere around you and never underestimate the what could be learned in the littlest of situations. You know, I learn from people on the street. I learn from you know artists. I, I'm influenced hugely by culture, by art, by entertainment. I'm, I'm hugely you know influenced by my environment and people around me. You know, but but I think the greatest thing we can do, even though I you know have been talking a lot here, it's about listening. You know what I mean? I think when you listen to people, you learn. So I'm always trying to grow. I have no problem, you know, recently, might have been on The Biggest Loser when we taped that recently, I had somebody come over and show me on a haircut, on a makeover that I was doing, how would you do this? I, want, I actually want to see how you would do this. And people are always like, wait a minute, but you're Ken Pavis, what do you mean? Well, actually, and like I said with Jordan, she may know something more, you know, better, and she actually may be more qualified for this area, or, or I want to see what she's going to bring. And I think in that, you continue to always learn. You know what I mean? I'm so hugely inspired by what you've accomplished. You know what I mean? So getting to know you more and learning from you and even just being inspired by being open enough to recognize what you've done, I think is important. You know, when you stand in your, behind your chair and you look next to the person next to you, if you're the kind of person that can say, wow, that's amazing. Great job. I promise you, you're going to go far. If you're the kind of person that looks next to them and is like, mm, mm-hmm, like that, you're not going to go as far as you think you are. You know James Morrison from Tony and Guy. Yeah, of he, he course. Tells, I went to Tony the, and Guy as well. He tells the joke, uh, how many hairdressers does it take to teach a new haircut? A hundred. One to do the cut and 99 to stand there and say, oh, I could do that. Totally. 100%. And the funny thing is, those 99 aren't doing it. Right. Because you know, like, if they are, they would be. Exactly. Right. No, totally. So right. that, I think, is the greatest way to learn is to acknowledge everyone around you. I, I've never, ever said, even one time in an interview or anything good or bad about a haircut or hairstyle. I won't be that person. I get tons of requests for interviews, and they're like, so we want to do this thing where you tell us why this is better than that. I'm like, I'm not that person, because guess what? The hairdresser that did that believed in what they did, and it works for a certain reason. People judge my work all the time. Oh, why did he do that? Oh, my God, she was better before. Okay, she's had that look since 1968. It's now 2013. Whether it was better before, fine, you can have your opinion, but I wanted her to be current. To me, the only thing I'm ever trying to do is have people be current in themselves. I don't want to be a vintage version of myself. Vintage handbag, cute. Vintage you, not so cute. You know what I mean? Because if you look in the mirror and you're like, ooh, my hair looks the same, I'm wearing the same t-shirt I used to wear, but ooh, the face, what happened? But if you can always evolve and, and look your best for where you are in, in that moment, I think you stay current as yourself. Have you ever created something that within a very short period of time you said to yourself, what was I thinking? 
Oh, I'm sure I have. I got to think about. I got to. I got to think about exactly what it was. But I'm the type of hairdresser that will literally chase my client to the car and even sometimes jump in the car with them. I've been in the car with clients as they're approaching a red carpet because the last second I didn't love what I did, right. and they were like, "Oh my God, I love it." What do you mean? I'm like, "No, no, it's not perfect." And on the floor in the car, I've done hair in a helicopter. I've done hair in elevators and basements everywhere because you know that's what we. That's what we do. Oh my God! Wait a minute. It's slipping. Hold on a second. But it was, it was what you said also, that a lot of people who work in uh, the, the field of art are a little bit uh, insecure. But I don't see that as a bad thing. I, see, I think that's probably why you took my phone call. That's why yeah. you're still approachable. That's why you'll still mentor that next generation because yeah. there's that part of you that keeps you humble. And it's the, I think the flip side of insecurity sometimes is humility, I think. 100%. Yeah. It's funny because you always grow. You still grow. The things that interest me the most today are those moments because by mentoring somebody else, guess what happens? I learn. Yeah. I continue to learn. So even though they think I'm giving them an education, they're giving me an education back because their eyes are different than mine. The way that they see something or interpret something. I love saying to a stylist you know, of mine, actually Dita Von Teese was here not that long ago, a social friend of mine and a new stylist here, uh, Bobby Elliott, amazing talent, had wanted to work with her. And so I said, okay, great. You know, come on in. I'll interview you. you can set a few of these things for me. And I said, here's what I want to do. But go ahead and use it. You set it and show me how you would do it. I mean, here's on an amazing, huge client, and he's so talented, and he killed it. He nailed it, and it had his kind of, you know, flair to it, which was really cool to see, too, based on what I had suggested. So, and I learned from that moment. He thought he got the opportunity, but I got something back. You said something earlier that I wanted to ask you about, and now that you took a breath, I can ask. I'm kidding. Um, It's this gigantic coffee. I know, I know, I know. Please, you were talking like this before the coffee ever showed up. People tell me I make coffee nervous, so we'll just... We're <laughs> nice. Like, okay. Uh, you said uh, your reputation versus your body of work. What do you mean by that? I think that, you know, your reputation versus your body of work is that your reputation is, you know, I always try and work factually. You know, your reputation is either how people perceive you or someone's opinion of you. But your body of work is exactly that. It's your body of work. It's your proof. It's your everything. It is your Bible of everything you've done. It is a declaration of where you came to where you are. It is every single thing that you are. I don't care what people think about me as an artist. I really don't. I'm not, you know, if people think I'm not that talented, great. That's fine, too. If people think, you know, if people don't think I'm a good person, then that hurts and right, that's hard right. to swallow but you but are as the one that artist, ruined celine dion's hair though aren't you? Aren't <laughs> right you right yeah, absolutely i'm the one that did that yeah. but you know when it comes to work though i know everything i've done and i know all the things that you know where i've gone and, and my intentions and those so my body of work it does define who i, I am as an artist and mm-hmm. continues to evolve mm-hmm. people's opinions of me and my reputation you know i think i have a great reputation i think everyone i've ever worked with you know says good things about me I'm, i think i'm easy to work with i think all of those things so you know my reputation that way but my, what's most important to me is my body of work, mm-hmm. and, and that includes the relationships that I have and that I still have 18 years later, that I know I can call people, that people that are still calling me, you know. I transitioned my, my career a couple years ago to not, you know, I'm trying to do more um, philanthropic things as it relates to hairstyling, and I'm trying to evolve my career. You know, I'm trying to do, I produced a couple of TV shows that were beauty-driven, and I, you know, designed a character for Disney. I'm actually doing another project for Disney. I was a spokesperson for Chrysler. I'm trying to evolve my career. I'm testing the limits and boundaries of this career in other ways. Where, I mean, to have, being a kid from Detroit who built my first car, my dad worked in the auto industry, to call my dad and say, hey, dad, guess what? Your kid's a spokesperson for Chrysler. <laughs> 
The president of Chrysler is sending out a newsletter on the internet saying why Chrysler and Pavis are a good fit together. That's cooler to my dad than being in vogue. Do you know what I mean? So I'm always trying to push the boundaries and limits and see where people will accept me. You know, I've I've always wanted to be accepted, you know, and I found an amazing group that did accept me once I accepted myself and showed them what I had to offer. So now I'm trying to show the world and other, you know, people what else I have to offer still in this vein with everything I've learned here and open up other doors for younger stylists. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm really trying to now be a huge part of all the younger stylists, you know, that work with me to open up opportunities for them. You know, of things I've or that that I've done. You know, so I'm just continuing to try and evolve. Well, and you're writing a book. And I wrote. Why a book. is that sh- hush hush? Because nobody would tell me the name of the book. Like, yeah. was that what's a secret or what's the secret? No, you know, when I think the thing, the one thing that I've always tried to do is I try not to talk about something I've, I'm done or doing until it's done. I have never practiced that philosophy. <laughs> I always say I'm, I'm telling the truth in advance. I told right. people about my book 10 yeah. years before I ever wrote yeah, one yeah. word. Oh, yeah, I'm writing a book. I think it's because I am so insecure about it. Like, uh-huh. I, I didn't want to write a book. I haven't, I didn't want, I used to write a column on Oprah.com mm-hmm. that was pretty successful in women. You know, it was, it was about natural beauty and all these types of things. And so, you know, I, through the Oprah producers, they introduced me to an agent and they said, you, sh- you really have to write this book. It took about three years. I wrote a hundred and like, as you can imagine, 110 or 20,000 words that got edited down to 60,000 words. But I'm super proud of it, but also really nervous about it, you know, because, you know, it is subject to everybody else's opinions. And if I'm sitting here having a conversation with you, I forget all the legions of people that are listening Mm -hmm. to us now. Mm -hmm. And that's easier for me if I don't know the responsibility of the people that, I mean, that it goes out that far. So the book for me, you know, until it's out and I can really hold it in my hand and show it to people and everything, I just get nervous and I I don't. I think you're going to love it. Because like all the TV and all the press, not that I've had TV because I haven't, but there's something about having a book. There's just something about like legitimizes uh, your philosophy. I think that's why I'm so scared. But but the good news is, I mean, you can stand on a stage and something comes out of your mouth and you're like, oops, did I really believe that? Did I really mean to say that? But with the book... Yeah. You had time to rethink it, change the words. Like it absolutely is going to be who like with you my are. hairstyles. I did to the last minute, but I'm super proud of the book. And the book is actually called "You Are Beautiful," and it's a real. Oh, so I got the name. There right. you go, and it's a real woman's guide. You know, when I started writing the book, I said to my um, publishers in New York, Sterling Publishing, I said, you know. We were talking about what should be in the book, and I didn't want to make it celebrity-driven. You know, I, I have great friends who've done the celebrity book that turns so-and-so into so-and-so, and I, you know, I feel like that I've done enough of that on covers and that. I think my real value is to real women and making them feel great, exactly where I started and what I started wanting to do. So the book is not celebrity-driven. It, it's the journey of eight women, including Tip, who came in here, right. who I find to be one of the most beautiful women in my life. Um, Eva wrote my foreword, and... I reached out on social media and asked people, what do you want to know from me? And I got a lot of, you know, great, interesting things. But a lot of people said, we want to know your story, mm-hmm. how you did it. And I wasn't going to include that. It was, had not, I didn't want the book to be about me. I wanted it to be about the women. So I did write a chapter called My Story. Mm-hmm. And when I went back, and that was the hardest part for me to write. You know, as we talk, once I get talking and I feel so comfortable with you, it's easy to say some of those things about what happened to me or that I was insecure. But when I wrote it down and read it and read it, I was like, I don't know if I want anybody to know all of this. Like, it's really, you know, whatever. So that's part of the reason. I'm excited and nervous about it, but, but you that's know. The, that's going to be the best part. Yeah. I guarantee you that's going to be, people will say, I read your book and my favorite chapter was the one about your, your story. story. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 
Interesting. Yeah, I'm excited about it, but it's called You Are Beautiful, and it comes out um, in June. So I'm really excited about it. I can't believe we have to wrap this up. You're good. <laughs> you're good. <laughs> uh, no, but you know, that you're, the funny thing about talking to you, and I was excited about doing this. I really was because I know all of the you know, thousands and thousands of people that you reach who I was all of those people before, and I still am those people before. I love to listen to and hear what other people are doing. I love to be inspired by other people, you know, with your book and Marianne Williamson and all of the, These are people that do inspire me still to this day. So I feel like if I can inspire somebody else, I want to be a part of something. So it was easy to talk to you because I know what the purpose of this is. But I was excited to do this because... I look for things like this myself. I am excited to take the CDs, you know, here and, and listen to them and, and be inspired and, and learn other things. So it was easy to talk to you because I feel like we speak the same language. And I even feel like I've learned from you in this conversation, sharing, you know, some of your stories and, and knowing your background. You know, I walk away from this, you know, not only feeling proud that I feel like maybe I gave something to somebody listening, but I also got something out of this. And that's what I love about life is when you can walk away from any situation having learned that's amazing. Like, that's incredible to continue at my age, to continue and at, at this many years in the business to still learn. That's the cool thing about this industry and what we do is it's ever evolving and nobody can ever take our art away. No one can ever take that away and our ability to share that art and how we share that art, you know? So I thank you for having me and I thank you for, you know, this opportunity and I look forward to learning, you know, more from you and, and from the other, you know, masters that you'll have. You know, even though you and I have never had a conversation yeah. prior to recording our conversation. Yeah. I, I just knew it would turn out this way. I just knew it would because it's how it's supposed to be. Yeah. You know, Diana would not hook me up with yeah. an egotistical jerk. Yeah. You know, I appreciate that. And I just think it's, it's always the best when I get to tell people, oh yeah, I met Ken and he's such yeah. a nice guy. He's so approachable. He's so giving and that's that. just the best. I appreciate so thanks that. for that. Congratulations. That means a lot to me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, you real, very much. I really mean it. Thank you so much. Thank you.